Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Follow, interact, share. It definitely helps the brand out. Check out the T Public Store link. Check out the Patreon link. Shout out to all the amazing patrons that we have. We definitely do appreciate the brand support. It definitely goes a long way. And if you want to join what they're doing, simple. Click on the link, one tier, $2 a month, and a lot of content on the way. Also, check out the Parlay Points blog section, the Classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcasts, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. Also, check out the directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? 380,000. Sounds about right to me. The music section. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap the latest episode of a show that has made a triumphant return to Disney+. Plus. The Star Wars fan base is definitely excited about this. The pop culture fan base is very, very amped up about this. And, Pad, what show is this? The Mandalorian. Yes. The Mandalorian, the breakout hit of the Star Wars universe, is back with Pedro Pascal in the lead role with his sidekick Rogu, which has won over the hearts of many in the pop culture fandom. And they have returned with a very, very unique mission at hand. When the debut episode dropped last week, we weren't really sure what to expect. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot of moving parts going on. And with the cliffhanger ending that happened last week, we were very intrigued to see how this episode was going to go moving forward. That said, we are going to break down the latest episode entitled Chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. If you are new to the ODPH, well, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Make sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the show. We definitely do appreciate that. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement of the episode we're talking about. So if you haven't seen it yet, you can still partake in the conversation a little bit. But we do give you a countdown warning when we start talking spoilers. Because after the countdown, we go live. We do not hold anything back. And if you don't want to have the show ruined for you, we'd say pause the episode right there. Jump back in when you're caught up. And definitely hear our thoughts and compare them with yours. And then keep that conversation rolling after the show. So that said, Pad... Give me your spoiler-free statement on Chapter 18, a.k.a. Episode 2 of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Can I get some light in this episode? Yeah. I mean, listen, it was a good episode. I enjoyed it, but holy fuck was it dark. You know, And I'm not meaning that in the like tone or story sense. No, I'm meaning in the literal sense. Like, mm-hmm. It's a good thing I was watching this before really the sun had come up, because I don't think I'd have been able to see much with the sun coming up. You know, But, but that, nonetheless, it didn't take away from my enjoyment of it. It just made a couple parts a little hard to tell what was going on. You know, but uh, I understood why they were doing it and, and given the locations and everything. You know, but it, overall, it was a fun episode. It was a very solid episode. I do agree with you. It was very hard to see a few things 
during the show because of the location they were in. Yeah. It did not take away that much from the episode itself. I liked how they got the plot moving, yeah. especially with last week's cliffhanger. And I think that it's going into a very interesting direction moving forward, especially with something we saw near the end of the episode. And I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out moving forward, but there's a lot of intrigue rolling out after watching this. That said, three, two, one, pad, talk to me. Like I said, I thought it was a really fun episode. I'll enjoy the action. Just a little too dark for me. You know, if you go into watching this episode, make sure you have the brightness on your TV turned up a little bit. You know, but that said, it was it was fun. The action was cool. You know, to see the advancements Grogu has made since we last saw him in season two is astonishing. You know, and I, and I realized we mentioned on last week's episode that it's been two years since the end of The Mandalorian. You know, so obviously he's made some leaps and, and bounds in his training, but holy fuck, this is incredible. You know, and, I, and I'm excited to see where things go. This episode really hit the ground running, and the more Katie Sackhoff is Bo-Katan on the show, the better. Like, I need her to have her own spinoff show. She definitely added a, a new element to the scenes here, and especially playing off Pedro Pascal's Din Darjan. Mm-hmm. I thought they really had that good banter going back and forth, and especially knowing how her character is seething with jealousy right now because the Mandalorian has the dark saber and it should be hers sure. and, and, sure. and what comes with that responsibility. I love how they're kind of having her just really just poke at him and really get on his nerves. Oh, so she's also kind of just like she had a goal. She had an end, end result she wanted in mind. It's fallen apart in like the worst way possible. And now she's kind of like taking her ball and gone home and gone. Fine. Y'all don't want to do anything with me. I'm not don't, don't want to do fucking shit with you. Mm hmm. But how this episode wrapped up, I thought was very, very cool. So I am excited to see where we're going, except when we get to that part in the episode, I need you to translate what we saw in the water. Okay. And we'll get to there in just a bit. Because this episode starts off with more returning friends from the previous seasons. Because we know that Din Djarin has traveled to Tatooine a few times and jumps into his... Which is the name of the ship again, Pat? Uh, it's his N- Naboo N1 Starfighter. Right. I keep wanting to say X-Wing Fighter. I know it's not, and I know I'm no. going to hear from people about that, but I, that one always has a special place in my heart. So I was oh, like, sure. is this like an evolution of it? No, but no. this is his Starfighter. And he makes the return trip to Tatooine and mm-hmm. runs into who, Pat? Uh, Peli Mato. Yes. The mechanic who has always helped him out uh, throughout his journeys uh, mm-hmm. since we've seen him on screen. And he is coming back on a specific mission that he told us about last episode. And, Pad, what is that mission? So he is looking for a new memory chip for IG-11. Uh, He needs somebody to help him explore the caverns of Mandalore and and test the air to make sure it's safe. And the only person he can trust, he feels he can trust, is IG-11. And he's gone to a couple different people uh, in the first episode looking for said memory chip. And they're like, nope, doesn't exist. It was quit being made so long ago that it's so rare to come by one. So, of course, his his next thought is, well, why don't I go to the one place where they scavenge everything? Mm -hmm. Tatooine. Yes, and it makes perfect sense to do. And it's great seeing Peli back, played by Amy Sedaris. So... 
Mando, though, unfortunately, does not get what he wants. Yeah, because uh, Peli ends up bringing in the Jawa she was just talking to because she's. We get a fun little uh, prequel callback. It is the Bunta Eve uh, festival going on, which, of course, was the name of the pod race that Anakin won in The Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. Fun little callback. You know, so she was talking to Sinjawa. She needed some parts, and he shows up, and he's looking for this thing. And she goes, well, hold on. Let's get the Jawas back here. And she asked the Jawas, and nope, never seen it. Don't have one. No, so unfortunately, he cannot bring back IG-11, who he was relying on as a partner in this quest to Mandalore. Yeah. And unfortunately, it just doesn't seem like it's going to pan out. I mean, obviously, IG-11 was taken out in season one of The Mandalorian. Yeah. So he is in a little bit of a predicament. But Pelly says, I can't help you with that because you want somebody that's going to help you go underground. But I do have another droid lying around here that will be more than happy to step up. Who, like, two minutes prior, before he showed up, was, like, sparking and spritzing. Yes. Like, so this this is not a top-of-the-line astromech. No, this is definitely not. And this is R5-D4. Mm-hmm. So... Mando decides, well, it's better than nothing. Relu- yeah. Reluctantly, because he's like, well, I don't need one. You know, where would I even put him? And she's like, well, simple. The kid's small enough. The kid can ride shotgun with you, and you just put R5 in the astromech slot where he's supposed to go. Right. And, and at this point, I think he can't see a, a hole in this to poke. You yeah. know, so he goes, oh, fine. Okay. Reluctantly, he takes him. So they wind up flying to Mandalore. And the deal with Mandalore, if anybody has not been keeping up to speed, it has been rumored to not be able to be breathed on, yeah. lived on, yeah. surviving on. Yeah, so the Empire rolled in in an effort to kind of uh, control, bring rain in the Mandalorians, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, and bomb the place. Yes. Destroyed everything on the surface. And rumor had it for a long time, you know, and I say long time, maybe a couple years you know maybe a decade or two um you know the 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 empire rolled in and allegedly supposedly it was poison they, they did something where it poisoned the atmosphere and nobody could go back mm-hmm. you know and so man and mandal uh you know the mandalorian has found out that might not be the case you know it might be a terrible trek to go across because everything's destroyed and it's you know not exactly a flat barren surface but you know, the air might be breathable. You just got to go and find out. Yes. So he uses R5-D4 to go test the air out after he lands. And it's, this is a weightland, or wasteland. Yeah, it's it's kind, it kind of, if you've ever seen photos of what Venus looks like, it's yeah. kind, of, kind of similar. Very similar in that. It's, it's just very dark. You see a lot of cloud and smog yeah. in the air, and it's just very uninhabitable. Very stark contrast from how we saw it in the Clone Wars. Right. So Mando decides to test it out, and sure enough... R5 reports back, no, you can breathe on here. Yeah. It's not going to kill you, in theory. In theory. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, because the the little projection he puts up, you know, the bar starts, it's like half red, half green, and it goes very far into the green. Mm -hmm. Like into probably like the 90% or whatever. He's like, oh, no, you know, this is very breathable. Yes. So he Mando decides at this point to send R5 to go underground and start, investigating the caves because why he's looking underground Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. he's looking for the magical living waters. Yeah. And the other issue they've run into is as they're landed, they're coming in for a landing on the planet. They find out because of the bomb and I forget the name of the bombs they dropped. Forgive me. But because of the bombs, the empire dropped on 
Mandalore, and because of their lasting effect, it messes with all electronics. Like you see, as he's landing, like the electronics on the dash of his starfighter start flickering and fritzing. Hmm. And he tells Grogu, hey, we're going to be on our own once we land here because no communications are going to penetrate the atmosphere. So as he sends uh, R5 into the underground, into the caves, Grogu starts getting nervous. And he's like, oh, don't worry. We can track him here with, with this. And he points to this little map and there's a ping, ping going along. And then all of a sudden it cuts out mm-hmm. and there's issues because he's like, ah, fine, I'll go find him. Yeah, so as he goes into the cave, well, he's noticing something is not right. He makes a shot towards the ceiling of the cave. Mm-hmm. And who pops up, Pad? Uh, they're Alamites, which are a native-like troll species that live in the caves. Yeah, so these look like oversized trolls. Kind of. They, were, You know what? Because I didn't really get a good look at them. They reminded me of one of the aliens we saw in the cantina in uh, A New Hope. Yeah, like a little bit, a little bit. bit. I I know it's been a while since obviously we've seen a new hope, but they did look very familiar. But this is something that's a staple of Star Wars. Yeah. You see a lot of characters that do look very similar because of just how the intergalactic species are all mingling amongst each other. So this is a familiar scene that you see Mando is now facing them off. Great action sequence going on here as he's fighting his way through three of them. Yeah. And is losing at some point too. It's like, cause he's over, like he's overwhelmed. He's trying to shoot them with the blaster and it's either missing or it's bouncing off of their weapons and it's not really doing any damage. So at this point he breaks out the dark saber. Yes. And you can tell now to you, did it look like he hadn't used it in a while? Or? Yes. Okay. Cause he looked rusty. He looked rusty. I like at first I'm like, is it the gravity screwing with him or is it just, he's rusty as hell. I think he doesn't try using that at all could be i think that in his head because let's face it so far two episodes in the theme of this whole season is is he worthy of being a mandalorian mm-hmm. i think that that is playing something in his psyche could be that he doesn't want to even use it but he's like desperate times call for desperate measures i'm whipping it out yeah and he starts hacking and slashing which is a great action sequence going on as he's completely thrashing these trolls and once he defeats them, he starts moving deeper into the caves. Mm-hmm. And he gets there, and then we see something going on. And I got to say, this was one of the coolest special effects I think I've seen in Star Wars. Sure. You saw this spider-like robot yeah. come out of nowhere. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the robot from Lost in Space. Oh, good the, call. The Netflix series. Good call. Reminded me a little bit of that. Yeah, so it's got one eye, and you're seeing... Just it completely trapped the Mandalorian and it's like robotic spider web. Yeah. It's a very cool scene to see because, like I said, they spent a lot of money on the CGI for this. They did. It was very yeah. impressive. Yeah, so, as he, as he sneaks up on the Mandalorian and takes him, Mando decides to do the most rational decision possible. <laughs> he tells the young child Grogu, Yeah. Go take the ship. Yeah. And fly and go get Bo Katan. Go get Bo Katan because he made a point to tell Grogu as they were flying in through space, oh, there's Bo's planet. Yes. So he decides to entrust the young child who we've never seen fly before. Hey, hey, hey now. Hey now. He's 52. Give him some credit. Okay. The young grown-up Yoda (laughs) to go fly a ship he's never done before that we know of. Yeah. Now I want to see a backstory about this to see how he got his flight uh, license. Well, the, the astromech was sitting in the was sitting in the ship. You know, the astromech can pilot most of it. We'll just chalk it up to 
reasons. reasons. The only thing we don't know is how the hell he managed to communicate the droid to go that way, unless he's just pointed. I was saying, he must have been using the Force, like, eh, subconsciously could, could now. Could be. And that's the only thing, because you see him flying his little space hub, and he's... That thing moves, too. Yeah. Holy I was, shit. I was going to say, I think he stole some parts and, and is, uh, maybe put some NOS in it. Cuban NOS. Because it, it's, it's all about family here. Family. It's all about family. So he starts going Vin Diesel through the cave, flying through, and he's getting chased by a sub-creature at one point. Yeah. And then it turns out to be one of the Alamites. Yeah. Decides to get in front of him. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they do this camera shot that you've seen in many of the commercials for the show. Yep, yep. The Alamite goes flying out of the cave. And you see Grogu just using his hand, just slow walking like an action sequence out of, <laughs> of a movie, hand forward, like, yeah, get the hell out of my way. I got to go fly. Gets in the plane after he deals with the creatures, after he deals with the Alamites. Like, he's just yeah. completely hustling here. Yeah. And takes the ship to Bo-Katan's planet. And meanwhile... We have Bo-Katan in her castle. Has not moved. Has not moved. So she's been literally in the same spot that we saw her at the end of Mandalorian. For probably a couple, one there. couple days now. Yeah season, yeah, season three, episode one. So it's been days, and she has not moved. Mm-hmm. She's literally sitting on her iron throne. Yep. And the droid comes in that is her... It's her protocol droid or yeah. something, yeah. And says, you have a visitor, and she's like... <laughs> An unannounced visitor, and she gets up to see who it is. Sees it's his ship, uh, it's the Mandalorian ship coming in, and she doesn't know who's on it. She just presumes it's it's the Mandalorian, and she sighs and says, "Time to settle, the, take care of this once and for all." Yeah, so she's ready to kill him, that, or, or kick his ass and tell him to get out. That's the, no, I, at this point, I'm like, no, she's gonna go try killing him, and I'm going, "Wow, things have escalated quickly." Mm-hmm. Like just all that time sitting on the throne and just like, oh, if he comes back, I'm gonna kill him. I don't know. I mean, they do different yeah. things in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it is what it is. So I wasn't too phased by it, but I'm just, I started laughing. I'm just like, she is really mad that he's back. Yes, she is. But then she sees it's a young child and understands that there is some trouble going on. So she gets in her ship mm-hmm. and flies to Mandalore too. At this point, we see that the spider robot, this thing looked like a spider slayer, actually. Kinda. You know, like an old school one from the Amazing Spider-Man comics. Kind of. Has Mando completely encased in like a standing steel cage. Mm-hmm. And you can see that the circuitry here on his armor is not working mm-hmm. as he starts fading in and out. And I thought this was a very interesting camera shot, too, because you see it from his helmet perspective. Right. As he's fading in and out. So I was like, OK, this is definitely saying that he's getting drained at some point. And you do see the huge spider because it was a giant one at one point mm-hmm. morphs into like a little smaller one to go address like whatever the plan is involved in Din Jardin. Mm-hmm. So luckily at this point you see Grogu and Bo-Katan go through the mines. Yeah. Bo-Katan kicking ass, not taking names. Yeah. Katie Sackhoff. So awesome in this role. Yes. And is just wasting everybody because the Alamites come after her and she's like, nah, well, she's probably dealt with them before. Oh, yeah. That's what I said. Like, she was just going through them like a pro. Because the thing we got to remember, uh, the Mandalorian, you know, Din Jaren, you know, not from Mandalore. He's from the nearby moon, Concordia Dawn. Mm-hmm. So, whereas Bo-Katan, she mentions later in the episode, oh, you know, she's part of the royal family. She's dealt. She's probably dealt with this before. She's, you know, that's probably some sort of, like, 
coming of age ritual where she's got to go out and fight one of them in hand to hand combat or something like that. Probably. I mean, that's a great point because yeah, because she had no problem absolutely. Oh yeah, she wiped the floor. wasting them. Yeah. So she winds up dealing with them and then f- sees the spider creature that split off into its own separate unit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, time to go to business. Yep. Goes in for the save. They have a great fight sequence. She winds up picking up the dark saber too. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting as well. Because mm-hmm. I was like, well, how is this going to play out now? Because you technically didn't earn it. Is this going to be something yeah. of a plot point later? And she winds up absolutely decimating the robot spider. Mm-hmm. And one of the more badass action sequences you're going to see on this show. I applauded this. Yes. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Yes. Yeah. You actually got me to drop an F-bomb. That's how I have to <laughs> I was about this. So she winds up freeing Din Jarden, And he's very, very grateful and says, well, if you're here now to the living waters, here we go. Yeah. So they wind up descending more into the caves. Now, you got to remember, too, at this point, like we touched upon, it is very dark. Mm-hmm. The lighting is meant to be that way. Yes. But still. Kind of hard to see. It's very hard to see what's going on for most of this episode, except when you deal with a robot spider, because they did yeah. have a big orange yes. flame and spotlight on him yes. to it you know, throughout the episodes and such. So now they're in almost complete darkness. He sees the living waters, Grogu. And Bo are there with him. Mm -hmm. And Mando takes off his jetpack and his weapons. Yep. And he starts reciting the Mandalorian Creed. Mm -hmm. And he starts walking into the water. Mm -hmm. And as he gets mm, a few feet in. (laughs) Not even. What happens? Steps off a cliff and falls in. Yeah. So he winds up going to the bottom of. And this thing is fucking. Deep. Yeah, this is like a this is like a great lake. This this is a deep cavern. Yeah. yeah. So he is down underwater. Bo yeah. sees this and immediately jumps in. Doesn't even swim to get him. She activates her jetpack to get to him. Like that's how far down he is. Yeah. And as she's flying down, like I say, great sequence here too. Loved how the jetpack was underwater working. Winds up saving him because he is basically dead to rights. Mm-hmm. Like he is. We don't know how long he's been underwater at this stage. No, like, not very long. Not very say. long, but still enough that, like, you know, we're not sure if he's surviving or not. She makes the dramatic save upward, and as she's flying upward, she sees one of the biggest creatures I've seen in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Pad, what did she see? She saw, and I had to look up what the name was called because, admittedly, I this is a new creature. I didn't know what it was called, but according to the Star Wars uh, fandom page or Wikipedia, uh, this was a mythosaur. So. Remember, and before I read what the, uh, the page says, remember when she was leading him to the waters and she's like, hey, as long as you're here, I might as well give you the full experience because she told him, oh, I've been down here before. I can't, you know, I was part of the royal family, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. She read off as he was walking forward. She read off this like plaque or or some sort of memorial type of thing or something like you'd see in a museum. Yeah. It's basically giving you a history of like. Mandalore and, and the first Mandalorian and, and yada yada and how he tamed a monster. That's what that was. So this was a mythosaur reading off the Wikipedia page. I love uh, that name. Yes. Uh, quote, mythosaurs were, ju- were creatures of gigantic proportions found on the outer rim world of Mandalore. The mines of Mandalore were a mythosaur's, uh, mythosaur lair. They were allegedly tamed and ridden by Mandalore the Great and, an- and ancient Mandalorians but they were believed to have gone extinct long before the Mandalorian cataclysm. 
Although one mythosaur survived and lived into the living waters during the time of the New Republic, its skull was one of the traditional symbols of the Mandalorian iconography, and some Mandalorian armor bore the distinctive symbol. Yeah. It, the symbol looked very familiar, so to see this huge, gigantic whale-like yeah. creature yeah. just swimming underwater was like, holy crap. Yeah. I thought they it was going to try making a play to eat them. So did I. I was fully expecting that, but it did not, and it let them get back to the surface. And you see Mando is now officially a Mandalorian again? Yeah, uh, he, well, he's forgiven. Well, he's, well, forg- he's, well, he's got he's to go back to the armorer and prove it, which I, I'm, I wasn't quite sure how they were going to do this, but unless he brings Bo along with him, you know, to prove, yeah, he was there. Because, like, Grogu, although admittedly he has started saying words because he did say some of his first words, which I couldn't make out what they were. Yeah. He did say he's not exactly up for full sentences and saying, well, yes, I did see him enter the, the living waters under the, cave, the caves of Mandalore. You know, you're almost and, – and the droid wasn't with him, so the droid can't, like, project, you know, a recording of what it saw. Yeah. You know, so you almost have to bring Bo along – to, to visit the armorer and, and prove, like, hey, yeah, he was there. See, I was almost wondering, was he going to have to bring back some of the living waters? Like, that, that like a be. sample and be that like, could be. here. That could be. Throw the bottle down. Yeah. And that, be like, what else do you want? That could be. But if he does bring back Bo-Katan, how is that going to sit well with the armorer? Because... Oh, they don't like each other. Exactly. Like, so I... Different sides of the same religion. Yeah. Like, it's a weird thing yeah, with how the Mandalorian Creed is played out and, and what you see. And like I say, there's many more themes that go along with that. Mm-hmm. So it's not just so linear in its, its description. Like, yeah. there, there's so much going on with that. And it just ends with those characters just sitting on the steps before they head to the living water. So yeah. they're still under, underground. We don't know how this is going to play out going into next week. I mean, it's probably going to start out there off planet doing something else. I can't imagine we're going to hang around and find something, show, find somebody showing up. Yeah, you half, when half the galaxy, and I'll say half just because the other half probably don't know where Mandalore is or what it is. You'd mm-hmm. be you'd be surprised how ignorant some people in this galaxy can be. You know, half the galaxy probably thinks you can't even go there. Yeah. So to see somebody in the neighborhood, they're not going to. They're like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, it's your de- it's your death wish. Right. Like, so, so so it's not going to be oh. He's going to leave the planet. Oh, no. All of a sudden, the Empire is there because he tripped some sort of mysterious tracking device. Like, no, I think it's going to like they're off world. Something's going on. No, I think the Empire is going to stay out of this one for now. Yeah, I was saying the Empire notoriously absent the first two episodes. Yes, which we do know there are coming. Well, they're around. They're not they're not on the up and up, uh, but they're still there. Right. So we'll have to wait to see how this goes. I think next week's episode, that's where it's going to be is the armor, Bo-Katan and, and Din Djarin. And then how that combination is going to mix together is anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to end anywhere near to good. Probably not. I could see Bo-Katan challenging Dindarden for the right to the Darksaber. I could see I could see uh, him trying to just give it to her. Like, hey, listen, I don't want this. I suck with this thing. Yeah. You know, and she turns out like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah, like that's the problem that he has now because if he is going to be forgiven – and being acknowledged as a true Mandalorian with the legacy of the Darksaber, I mean, that's that's a whole different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like, we thought it was serious before. It's, like, up a few notches and then yeah. some now. Like, that's, that's the interesting part of how they do this show. They tie in so many elements of the Star Wars mythos, 
But they also have a clean slate to run with, too. Yes, yes. Because, obviously, with the events of this show, they're not really connected to any of the future movies. They do have some breathing room of growing these characters out and really taking them in some interesting places. Well, yeah, I would say they're not. So, they're they're kind of in the middle of the two friend of the two uh, trilogies, mm-hmm. you know. And they haven't. They, okay, they introduced Luke, but he wasn't there long enough to really do anything. And plus, what he does in this time period is to a to a certain degree still largely a mystery. Right. So out, you know, Boba Fett doesn't show up in the sequel trilogy. No, but he was named. Did yeah, you he, hear a name drop? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah which I did. I did not understand yeah. what uh, Pelly was trying to imply with that. Because she made a reference like, are you here to stop Boba Fett? Yeah, well, Boba Fett is running things, so some people might not be happy with what he's doing. I mean, he is was famously uh, Jabba the Hutt's bounty hunter. Right, right, right. But at the same time... Mando and him have always had a very good bond together, especially yeah. with Mando helping him out to take over said territory yeah, no, during was, the Book of Boba Fett. It was an interesting uh, turn of phrase. Yeah, like I say, it was, it, that was an interesting Easter egg that was mentioned. Might get pulled back. You might see it play out later. I think you're going to definitely see it play out later. Like we, I mean, obviously, we have not heard anything about uh, Book of Boba Fett season two. No, nothing has been ever said about that. We presume it'll get a season two. Yeah, we just factor it's going to happen at some point, but we don't know when and, and right. can't really speculate. I don't doubt we see the man, the myth, the legend himself showing up this season. Probably. But at the same time, that was a very interesting line. I'm glad you mentioned Boba this because mm-hmm. I almost forgot about it. And with that dynamic, I mean, that's something else, too. So if I had to put money on when it's going to happen, it's probably going to because I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and it lists the writers and directors for upcoming episodes. And I'm not looking so much at the directors. I'm looking more at the writers. Favreau obviously writes every episode this season. And there's some folks who had give him a hand for some of the episodes. There's two episodes specifically. It's episode four. And then episode seven, they're written. Both of those are written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. And Filoni learned from the feet of George Lucas. Yeah. So, so if I had to put money on when Boba is going to show up, if he shows up this season, it's either going to be episode four or episode seven. I think he shows up episode four. Mm-hmm. I think that they're going to want to get him in and out, pretty much. Could be to set up something for down the road because I think ultimately this episode or this season is meant to obviously push forward the Mandalorian's story. Yeah. But it's also to set up things for other shows. Mm-hmm. The one even money bet, I think, if, if we're going to do this locks and leaps style, mm-hmm. your lock for episode seven is Ahsoka. Oh, obviously, yes. With Dave Filoni writing? Well, yeah, especially considering the fact that she's got a show coming out this year. Yes. I think that that is when we see Ahsoka. Your leap would be chapter 20 or episode four for Boba. Sure. But I would say that's closer to a double lock if we can use that. Sure. Just because if Boba is going to show up this season, that would be when, because I think they don't want him being near a season finale. Sure. Because of his own show and his own story. But I do think it's very telling that he did get name dropped. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. But a lot of things are going to be coming out of this new stat quo for the Mandalorian and how this all plays out with his destiny moving forward and reestablishing the Mandalorian way. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts on the episode, Ben? Thought it was a great episode, the lighting notwithstanding. You know, a lot of fun, a lot of Easter eggs. You know, I like seeing new stuff in, in Star Wars, and, 
you know, don't get me wrong. I like seeing the old stuff and I like the callbacks, like hearing Boon to Eve. I'm like, oh, that, you know, because I listen for as much shit as Phantom Menace gets. It was the first new Star Wars I got to see in theaters, you know, in 1999. So it's got a soft spot in my heart. You know, but I like the callbacks, but I like seeing new stuff and I like seeing stuff that makes me that instead of me doing, you know, doing the Leonardo DiCaprio, oh, hey, 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 you know, I like going, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And getting excited and trying to figure out what it is. No, this is a great episode. I really enjoyed the pace of it. I thought they really were moving the story along fairly well. Like they didn't yeah. spend a lot of filler time, like for no. being a 48 episode, minute episode. It wasn't a lot of filler. They did obviously kind of play around a little too much with the big monster spider, mm-hmm. but I get why. Like, so I wasn't super mad about it, but I do agree with you. The lighting was an issue prior to the spider making its appearance on the screen. Right. And, and some of the stuff I imagine that got introduced in this episode won't be explained what it is. Won't get a backstory. Won't get this. Won't get, that'll be like a comic or something down the road. Oh, I couldn't fully imagine. I think you're going to see it play out in another form of media. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to see a deep dive about what we saw here. And I think that this episode might be one that is deserving of a rewatch, not because of the great acting and action, but to look for clues. Because I think somebody is going to be sitting at home turning up the lighting on it so they can see what it was there. Because I bet you they have placed a few things. People going over episode. Star Wars content with a fine-tooth comb? I no, know. that never happens. I know, I'm speaking crazy. But one thing that definitely wasn't insane was this episode. It was a very solid watch. It's definitely worth the time if you haven't checked it out yet. But if you have, I want to hear what you thought about it. Pad wants to hear what you thought about it. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode two of season three of the Mandalorian entitled chapter 18, the minds of Mandalore. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to the capsule life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the comic watch family. I'm your host, Sean, join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer from one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the username at Caption Life. You'll get a new episode from us every week, so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to recap the biggest show on television. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, it's not The Mandalorian. No. But it is starring Pedro Pascal. It is. And Bella Ramsey, and it is definitely taken over pop culture. Uh-huh. This, this show, I think, has blown up to the point that it is rivaling most programs of the last couple years of being the best show on TV. The numbers it's getting in viewership is insane yes uh reading from an article on variety.com says quote the penultimate episode of the last of us season one uh reached an impressive 8.1 million viewers on sunday night according to warner brothers discovery that makes episode eight the series most viewed uh most viewed thus far previously that title belonged to episode four with 7.5 million viewers uh though wbd did not make data available regarding the audience sizes of episodes five through seven uh, so, yeah, viewership is up 74% since the series premiere. 
Yeah. Which is insane to think about in this day and age because a lot of shows, you know, and even shows that return will have monster numbers sure. and, and huge viewerships, but then it dies off. Mm-hmm. You know, either they they stop watching or they watch outside the, the dates where the viewership will count. You know, but to see it retain this number this far in is insane. It's insane because it's grown. Like, that's the one thing about this show. Word of mouth has spread about this. I heard it get talked about on the Pat McAfee show the other day, and I could not believe I was hearing this. Well, right. That's why I say, like, when you have a show that transcends to that level. Yeah. And we, like, we have said this ad nauseum, that when you do a show, whether it's a comic show, whether it's a video game show, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, a D&D type show, that it starts somewhere else, and then you do an adaptation, and then it blows up to this level. It really is saying something when every week it's growing in viewers mm-hmm. and you haven't had a drop off in episodes, in quality, in writing, in acting. The whole package is here and every week it's elevating even more. So now it's reached a point where if you're not watching this on Sunday night, mm-hmm. You have to avoid social media on Monday. Yeah. You have to avoid talking to people on Monday. Yeah. So you don't have it spoiled for you because it's that big of a show. Mm-hmm. And to win over people that would never tune in for this had they known it's a video game. Right. Is truly saying a lot, but they're being smart about it. And when we get into the spoiler talk, I'll break down why this is winning to that level. But before we get there, obviously, we are going to be doing our spoiler-free statement about HBO Max's Warner Brothers Discovery's The Last of Us, Episode 8, entitled When We Are, ne- when we are in Need. So, Pad, hit me with that spoiler-free statement. Jesus Christ, this episode was insane. You know, <laughs> Well played. Start to finish. Well played. Thank you. Uh, start to finish. Edge of my seat. Didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Didn't know how it was going to play out. Loved every minute of it. We often think of Pedro Pascal as the star of the show. And I think that Bella Ramsey, the last few episodes, has elevated her game so much and the character. Yes. That you almost have to think that Pedro Pascal is the co-star of this mm-hmm. show. And this is now Bella's show to to run with. The acting job she did for this episode, truly amazing, and was balanced out by the rest of the cast on this show. This was a phenomenal episode. It really pushed a lot of emotional buttons, Mm -hmm. and it really went into a direction that, if you've seen other shows, and we always make the comparison to The Walking Dead, when you start crossing a line of how fast humanity breaks down at the event of what is going on with the show. When things break down, yeah. Yeah, when you see just the true breakdown of society and how absolutely vicious people can be. Mm-hmm. You really get into a place where you start seeing about how like all hope is lost and how people are fighting to reclaim what they had. And you're seeing a different look on this show because you're seeing a lot of them the main characters that you're rooting for are just adapting. Yes. And it's not so much about getting back to where they were prior to set events. Mm -hmm. It's now getting back to a place where we're just finding a way to survive. Yes. No matter how crazy things are getting, 
And like I say, you're really seeing a very, very disturbing portrait of humanity. Mm-hmm. But you're also seeing one that even a flicker of hope is still better than nothing. Yes. That said, Pad, let's get into that spoiler talk. So in three, two, one, talk to me. This episode was awesome. You know, from Bella Ramsey's acting in this episode, you know, to the new uh, new stars we had in this episode, you know, the new characters we had in this episode, including uh, Troy Baker, uh, the, yeah. the, the voice actor that plays Joel in the video game, making his appearance in the show. We knew prior to this show that he, he and the actress who plays uh, Ellie uh, in the video game were going to be making an appearance in the game. I thought it might be something background. We, we blink and miss it. Boy, there's no blinking and missing this, this, no. this appearance. Uh, but no, he did. He did great. The episode was awesome, you know. And you know when when we got to the end and how things played out, I was watching with my girlfriend. And given what Ellie does in the end, I went, you know, normally I'd say this is overkill, but in this instance, nah, this is warranted. No, absolutely warranted. You know, but a fantastic episode. This really felt like true cinema, and like I say, the acting on the show has been superb. Yes, every episode. I don't really think we've had a bad episode. Maybe you can argue episode two, couple, maybe. A couple dull. Couple, a couple ones that really didn't feel impactful. Yeah. But like you touched upon, Troy Baker, who who voices Joel on the video game. Yeah. Being the right-hand man to Scott Shepard's David, the leader of, well, let's not. Let's not beat around the bush. They're a cult. Yeah, the cult. They say this isn't the group we saw in Wyoming that was like, oh, banding together for the greater good and like trying to claim back some sort of semblance of the life they once knew. No, this is a cult and the preacher is the cult leader. Right. So it's a wild scenario to see how this is all playing out and especially how just dark and disturbing they were yeah. in their methods and really pushing the envelope of where they felt the world was going mm-hmm. and how they thought Ellie was going to be a part of it was absolutely terrifying but it's it, but it plays out like i say this show really just captures that vibe and that energy that it really felt bigger than the episode mm-hmm. and when you can do that with a tv show that's truly saying something i think the last time i've gotten this kind of vibe was breaking bad yeah and better call saul yeah yeah like there's certain moments and there's certain episodes specifically that really just get that feel to it yeah and i think that this one has really found a way to capture that and like I say, this is, I know this is part of the video game and such, but where I think that this show has truly excelled at, and this is why this is winning over so much in pop culture, mm-hmm. how many times have we seen clickers or bloaters on screen? Not often. Exactly. I think you might be able to count on one hand the number of times we've seen it. Yeah. I think that this is why the show is winning so much. Yeah. Because you're not doing the fantasy element of the show. Right. Where I think... In the sense of, like, I know we, we compare it to The Walking Dead a lot. Right. The Walking Dead relied on zombies a lot in the first season. Sure. Or first two seasons. But when you really break it down, what won over the pop culture audience? The deaths. It was the deaths because they got connected to the characters. Mm-hmm. You're seeing that same kind of setup here with this show because they're staying away from the zombie fungus right. breakout. What you, right. They're staying away from it. And that is what everybody's connecting to because they're really having this fan emotional connection with Joel and Ellie. So when you're seeing this play out as you are with Joel nearly dying the last couple episodes yeah, and last 
time we saw him was unconscious and you saw Ellie having to do a homemade stitch job <laughs> to yeah. try saving him, you're really going, how are they going to survive this? Like, can they survive this? We don't know. I mean, unless you play the video game, but even so, they're taking some liberties mm-hmm. away from the game that's not exactly so much of a faithful adaptation, but they're making it work to sell the show. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing, and that's why it's blown up to the point it has. Because where we jump into the show, Ellie has to leave Joel in his weakened state, and he is dying because that wound is getting infected like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. She has to go find food. Yep. Because they're in an abandoned house. It's winter. There's obviously nothing to eat. There is absolutely nothing to eat going on. Meanwhile, we are shown a group where somebody is cutting a sermon. Uh-huh. And this is where things start getting very, very awkward. Because this yeah. is where David, played by Scott Shepard, as we mentioned, is addressing the followers. And they're not even in a church or any sort of like religious sanctuary. No. They're in like a preschool. Yeah, they're or, or like a kindergarten classroom. Yeah, like it's it's a it's a very awkward situation because the only thing that we see involving them is like a suburban road. Yeah, that's completely snow covered. No cars have moved in in yeah. eons. Yeah, and he's cutting just this very. I, you want to say it's inspiring, impassioned. but it's not. But it's impassioned speech about the world to the point where he smacks somebody. Yeah, in the crowd. Yeah, because she is not uh, falling in lo- like falling head over heels about what he's saying. Well, because he's re- he's reading from the Bible and he's reading from my if I remember right, it was Revelations. It was the end of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know. And and he gets to the point where like clearly this isn't the first time you know he's read through this or said this whole spiel in front of them because he cuts off midway through and he's like, well, yeah, you know what happens. Yeah, and then this girl speaks up from. You know the from the audience or the or the the congregation congregation, and and clearly stepping out of line like you said. And he goes over and he whacks her upside the head. Yeah, it it like it's disturbing right from the get go. Like, okay, what the hell is going on? Yeah, here? and then they wind up breaking away because they now need to go get food because because yep, there's a lot of mouths. There's a lot of mouths to feed, and they know that there is a crisis going on, so they leave. Yeah, so you see that. James leaves with David, mm-hmm. and they start going to look for anything. Meanwhile, Ellie is out having target practice and winds up shooting a deer. Yeah, wounding it, too. Yeah, wounding it. So she has actually been improving her shot since Joel has now shown her how to use a gun. Listen, it's the, it's the fungal apocalypse. you got to learn to protect yourself. And while she shoots, at one of the shots, it attracts... David and James mm-hmm. to come over. Yep. And you see David just sitting there, you know, trying to just cut a deal and be like, well, hello, you're by yourself. Right. You know? And very, very. Snake tongued. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. And you and you see that James is sitting there going like. What the fuck are we doing? Let's just, it's a kid. It's two on one. Let's kill her and leave. Yeah. Like, let's, let's take the deer and leave. Yeah, and Ellie is just sitting there and just really assessing the situation and is just like, no, you know, you're not going to take me anywhere and is willing to fight her way out of this. But they start picking up about 
things that are going yeah. on because when yeah. they say like, well, we want to take this deer, we have mouths to feed, you can come with us, and she's right. like, no, no, I, I gotta stay here. Yeah, and he's like, and then you see, obviously, David has an idea what's going on, and is like, well, is there something we can trade? Mm-hmm. And immediately, Ellie kind of just jumps in and says, you have medicine. Yeah, her, you see her eyes perk up and her eyebrows are, and she goes, oh well, medicine. Uh, yeah, it's for infections. Yeah. So you do see him tell James that, yeah, go back to the settlement. You can get some penicillin. Go get some penicillin. And James is looking like, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are we doing this? Yeah. So you do see that she does get the medicine back after a a little conversation. Because at this point, David is trying to work any kind of tricks on Ellie he can. Well, and after they try and double cross her, because when he comes back, they're chatting and you just hear a gun click. And all of a sudden the camera turns around and he's standing behind Ellie with a gun pointed to her head. Yeah. So, and it alludes to the fact that he gives this whole story about how, well, we're actually out looking for a friend of ours because we sent some people out for food. There were four. Only three mm-hmm. came back, and then we heard about a man and his daughter mm-hmm. were the reasons that they were killed. So all of a sudden, we you now realize this group is the, are the ones who sent out the people that attacked and almost killed Joel. Yeah, tying everything together. Uh huh. It's a it's an intense scene to say the least, but just how he he sets it up too. Like I say, Shepard really just embraced this role, and just even though his intentions are completely evil. They were really trying to make him almost like a sympathetic character at one point. Almost. Almost. But you knew something was wrong in just his delivery. So once this happens, you see Ellie take off with the medicine. So mm-hmm. she wants to escape. And, and then you see that David or J- James is like ready to kill her. He's like, all right, let's do this. And David's like, no, pull back. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to let her have time to run because I want that guy that killed our friend at, a, at his, his best because mm-hmm. we're going to kill them both. So Ellie winds up going back to the house that Joel is in, does a makeshift Pulp Fiction-esque injection of the medicine into Joel, hoping it works, Yeah, and is trying to find some peace. Well, and she, and she can't figure out where to put it in. Yeah, but she winds up just stabbing right into the wound, which is wild, Yeah, like I say. Yeah. So she winds up staying next to him and just like is like please work please work and just you could see like the pain in her watching over him just going yeah. like we are in some serious trouble like you don't realize what's happening. The next day, you see that the congregation is now on the loose, mm-hmm. looking for them. Mm-hmm. So she is realizing okay they're gonna find Joel. Joel's not ready to defend himself. She almost gives herself up yeah. to save him. Yeah, she she leaves him with a knife. He's kind of like slowly coming to. He's his, he's opening his eyes a little bit. Yeah. Not much, but you can tell he's kind of coming to after God knows how many days. And she leaves him with a knife and says, hey, listen, I'm going to draw him away from here. If anybody enters that doorway, you stab them in the neck. Yeah. You know, she like you kill them. And so she she sneaks out through the garage where the horse is just chilling in the garage. Yeah, <laughs> which I love. That was awesome. You know, and she and she rides out there, but uh, while they're not looking at her, she fires off the gun and goes, "Hey, assholes, this way!" And and she runs off with them chasing after her. Yeah, 
which you see James is waiting in the wings. Yeah. And as soon as the horse goes by, he shoots the horse. So sending yeah. her flying. Jesus. Brutal scene. Absolutely brutal. And you see them surrounding Ellie, and then they wind up capturing her. Yeah. So they take her back to the congregation. They throw her in a cage, and she's in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And David is sitting there still trying to reason with her. Yeah. Which still got more unsettling. Yeah. Well, and if you watch the inside the episode afterwards, I think it was implied that or like they implied that like he was starting to see her as a wife like figure. Yeah. Which got real weird. Oh, it got it definitely got creepy because he's like saying You how, can be a queen. Yeah, like just some of the verbiage he was using. Yeah. It just it was like, yeah. Oh, this is disturbing. This is definitely a cult. And you're seeing just Ellie is saying, they're like, no, like, get the fuck away from me. Like, mm-hmm. just, no, like, you're mm-hmm. not going to do this. Even to the point where he's, like, trying to hold her hand in the cage. And she winds up snapping his fingers. Yeah. Which was absolutely freaking nuts. And, she starts, and then he starts attacking her in the cage uh, from outside the, the cage. It wasn't inside. Right. But she does wind up making a somewhat escape in, inside the compound that we find out later is a steakhouse. Mm-hmm. So like I say, it was kind of real interesting how they kind of covered everything up because I, I thought it was the same thing too at the beginning of the episode. It was a school. Yeah. But then I was like, wait, they're in a restaurant, like a, mm-hmm. like a, like a big steakhouse, but why do they have such small tables? I don't know. It's another reason. Thing. Reasons. Yeah. But meanwhile, you do see that there is a gentleman in the house looking for Joel. And well, at, well, at this point, uh, he's they're going house to house because right. they know Joel's in the area because yeah. she's there. And there's like the five or six of them, whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you and you come back with me. The rest of you go house to house and find him. He has to be nearby. Yeah. So so that's why he's in the house is they're going house to house trying to find him. Right. And they make a very, very crucial mistake. He tries going downstairs to where Joel has been lying Joel isn't there. Yeah. Joel sees him and stabs him right in the neck and kills him slow. Yeah. Which is bringing back Joel to where we saw him at episode one. Mm -hmm. And he is definitely in, I'm going to kill everybody. Mm -hmm. So you see him slowly taking everybody out to the point he captures two of the cult members and he's literally got both of them tied up in chairs. Yeah. And he's torturing them, stabbing in the guy in the knees, like demanding information. Well, and he even uses the same tactic they did from, I want to say either the last, no, two, like two episodes prior. Yeah. Where he's got the one guy tied up. He's got the other guy tied up behind him. And he goes, hey, we, I'm looking for where your camp is. You're going to tell me where we are. And then you're going to tell me where the camp is so I know which way to go. And then I'm going to ask your friend. And unless your friend tells me the exact same answer you did, I'll kill you. Yeah. And so sure enough, he winds up taking the one out. And then he puts the knife in the guy's mouth to point where they're supposed to go on the map. Yep. And then the guy obviously gives up the information. And he's like, all right, I told you everything I know. I told you. And Joel picks up a metal pipe. Joel goes, yeah, I know. Yeah, he goes, yeah, I know. Thanks. And cracks him over the head. Well, this is after he's stabbed him in the kneecap and, like, shredded his ligaments and tendons and his knee apart. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Like I say, this was brutal as fuck. Joel Joel gave no fucks that day. No, zero. And like I say, it was disturbing to some, but if you've seen enough Walking Dead in your day and age, and, I mean, the comics, 
Yeah. You're not really phased by this too much. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I was going, okay, well, here we go. Joel is in Terminator mode. Yeah, he is. You know, do we call him Joel Wick at the stage? I don't <laughs> know. We might have to. So he winds up killing both. He kills everybody that's in that group looking for him and is slowly making his way towards the compound. Albeit, though, this is where I think the episode really gets interesting mm-hmm. in the sense of Ellie is fighting her way out. Mm-hmm. And the odds are completely against her. She does get a piece of the fireplace. Yes. That is like a, a burnt log. Almost. Yeah, it's, it's like the remnants of, of the fire. Yeah, so you see that David is walking through, like, trying to plead his case to her. He's, I think he's just, I think at this point he's just trying to draw her. Like, I yeah. think at this point he knows she's not going to join him. So he's just trying to draw her out so he can kill her. Yeah. So at this stage, Ellie goes and throws the log at him and misses. Not the best idea because I thought she was going to hold and wait and just stab him with it. I thought so too. Yeah. I legit thought it so too. It would have made a lot more sense. I was like, okay, well, she's going to burn him and kill him. I was like, okay, well, you know, we're going to get extreme here, but she winds up throwing the, the log at him and has slowly set the place on fire. Yeah, yeah, because it ends up, she throws it across the room. He ducks out of the way and it misses, but the the log ends up catching a curtain, mm-hmm. and the curtain catches fire, which then sets the wall on fire. Because the wall is wood. Yeah, the wall's made out of wood. It's and a so log cabin. Everything catches fire, and the whole place goes up. Yeah, so the place is burning down around him, and you see David just sitting there creepily just saying, well, we're both going to die here together. Mm-hmm. And she is just plotting to take a shot. She thinks she has the drop on him. Yeah. And doesn't. And then he's trying to assault her. Mm-hmm. And she winds up getting the upper hand, just yep. barely grabbing the knife that he dropped mm-hmm. and giving him a stab. Now, meanwhile, when she escaped the cage, they were trying to cut her open. Mm-hmm. And she wound up getting a distraction enough. Yeah. Because she showed the bite mark of the infection. She, and she goes, she oh, had, you're infected now, too. Yes. And they're like, no, that's not true. And they're like, no, it looks pretty damn true enough. Yeah. So David thinks he's infected. This distracted James enough. He dropped the knife. She stabbed him. Yeah. So she has become very proficient about fighting the knife. And I bring this back because the same point, David is now in their question if he's infected or not. Right. And then he finally says, no, you've been lying to me, but he doesn't want to wait. And he's like, no, we're just, you know, going to die this way. Yep. But he loses or Ellie gets the upper hand on him. Yep. And then she winds up stabbing him. All the meanwhile this is going on, we have the brilliant editing being done where it shows Joel making his way to find her through a now blizzard-like conditions outside. Mm -hmm. And it keeps cutting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you're waiting for Joel to do the superhero thing and bust through the door to save the day. And it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That I love that part of this episode. Like the editing on this episode was brilliant. Yeah, because when she gets the upper hand on him, she kills him with the meat cleaver he was carrying around repeatedly. Yeah, and this, is, like I said, no punches were pulled on this one. No, she makes sure he's dead. Like you, you often hear about uh, how some in some games you'll see gamers are firing the gun until it yep. goes click. Yeah. She was firing until there was nothing left. Like she kept hitting him and hitting him and just the sound it was so horrific. Yeah, like I said, normally overkill, well, not necessarily overkill. Right, like I say, like I, I've seen this in most video games where people are just firing and, and still like shooting yeah. after the fact. 
No, like, I was like God of War two or three comes to mind. Yeah, no, this this was on if that you level. Played those games, you know which scene I'm talking about. Like I said, she has become. You saw the evolution of how proficient she has become with a knife in this. And I mean, listen, this dude was feeding his congregation human flesh. Yeah, that was the thing too. That, that like we almost forgot to mention, but like it, it gets real. And it, it was funny. I was watching this episode with my girlfriend, and he uh, he goes to give Ellie the a plate to eat because oh we know you're hungry. And, and my girlfriend picked up on this before I did. And she goes, well, is that supposed to be human flesh? And I, and I paused it and I went and I thought about it for a second. And I was like, you know, maybe. Yeah. I was like, they've, they've been eating food, but we don't know where it's from. We haven't really known these people for too long. So it could be unpause the episode. And, and Ellie goes, that's human flesh, isn't it? And I go, well, son of a bitch. There's our answer. Yeah. Yeah, Liz picked up on that real quick. She did. I will say they did eventually do that big reveal, too, because when you see Joel and you think he's making that superhero entrance. Yeah, he goes through a door, and, well, it's the meat locker. It's the meat locker with the dead humans hanging upside down. Oh, Jesus. Like I say, frightening scene, but you get used to seeing, like, I don't want to say you get desensitized to it watching this show, but you You kind of expect it. Kind of do. Like, you kind of like, you're going to see the worst of humanity show up on this show, and it comes out in full force. Like I say, there were some brutal kills that were happening left and right about this and how quickly Ellie became so proficient with a knife was something too. I'm not even faulting it. I'm not, there's, I'm not finding anything to complain about with this episode. I want to say that first and foremost, but she became very quick about how to stab somebody in this world. And she winds up absolutely leaving David mm-hmm. dead to rights as she should. Cause of the shit he tried pulling. Yeah. I had no sympathy for, for that motherfucker. He got what he got. Absolutely. So you see that she winds up escaping the burning building, and then you see somebody come up behind her and grab her, and it turns out to be Joel. Mm-hmm. And they are finally back together, and she's you know, crying her eyes out, obviously what she's just been through. But she knows that he's back. He's alive. The mission is back at hand. All is right in this really screwed up world. <laughs> screwed up is putting it mildly. Yeah, so they walk off while the building is burning, and that's how the show ends. Intense yeah. episode. Yeah. Brilliant episode. It's not for the squeamish, I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. Those with weak constitutions, yeah, might consider watch not watching. Yeah, there's some graphic scenes, and, and, and like, let's be honest, the story is very graphic in two. Like, you can't take anything away, just how much of a scumbag this guy was. And just the writing on the show really portrayed that. Like I say, they tried making him almost like a sympathetic character early, mm-hmm. but went right out the window. And then the interactions with him and Ellie will just make your skin crawl. Yes. So when Ellie finally does what she does, you're applauding. You're not, there's nobody that's going to feel bad for what she did. No. And obviously that fucker got what he got. And I'm happy she, he did the way he did. But brilliant episode. And going into the season finale. Yeah. All bets are off. uh, Episode title is Look for the Light. Yeah. So you want to think somebody's getting killed off. Maybe. And, I mean, if you know the video game, uh, anything's possible. But I don't know what to expect. I do know our good friend Sean from Metalcore Nerds has a spoiler-free review up. He has gotten a chance to see this. Okay. And was raving about it. So uh, if you want to know about that, well, I mean, you should be following Metalcore Nerds anyway. Sean's awesome. And has definitely given a great breakdown about this, too. But, like I say, he's co-signed on it. Said it was great. I'm super excited about it. 
So, Pat, I mean, final thoughts on it. Uh, fantastic episode. Like like you said, not for the squeamish, but it's a great episode. Highly recommend it. And then next week, season finale, you're going to want to watch that as soon as 9 o'clock hits because otherwise you will get spoiled. Yeah. So brace yourself. It's going to be a, a very, very intense moment on social media as soon as that episode ends. That said, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode eight entitled When We Are in Need from The Last of Us by HBO Max and Warner Brothers Discovery? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale of is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Mott, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. A lot of stories to talk about. So, Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. The first of which we got to give some kudos because as far as anyone can tell, and we might be wrong, but as far as anyone can tell, for the first time ever, Jonathan Majors is at number one and number two at the box office this past weekend. Really? Which, which a lot of people can't remember the last time this has happened. If it's ever happened, the date is kind of fuzzy just because movies have been around for like 100 plus years. You know, you got Disney hitting its 100th anniversary this year, Warner Brothers 100th anniversary this sure. year. Sure. Movies have been around a while. But as far as anyone can tell, uh, Jonathan Majors had the number one movie at the box office this past weekend with Creed 3 debuting in theaters. And then he's also number two at the box office this past weekend with Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania dropping to number two. To, uh, so to Jonathan Majors, we say, hey, congratulations. Sir. Congratulations. I know Pat has not seen Creed 3 yet. No, I'm I, seeing it Saturday. I did. Um, I will give you my spoiler-free statement about it. It's very solid. Okay. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Okay. Uh, there's a couple parts in it I did not like, and I thought it took away from the film. Okay. But I thought Jonathan Majors was great. Michael B. Jordan was great. Um, I thought the acting was on point. But like I said, there's a couple points that I'm like, I don't know necessarily how I feel about this. Hmm. And I thought there's one that just stands out that I'm like, oh, man, this really took took me out of the film. Sure. But I definitely recommend go see it. And if you want a further breakdown about it, I know 3FN and talked about it on their episode this week, so definitely okay. go check them out. Uh, so Wizards talking yeah. about it on their new episode as yeah. well. Uh, JT from Beyond the Fandoms got a great review out on their okay. website. I don't know if it's on Nerd Initiative or not, mm. but it's on beyondthefandom.com. So okay. definitely a lot of people talking about it, so we can definitely interact with you about that after you see the movie. And yeah. everybody else, you yeah. just hit us up, let us know. Like I said, seeing it Saturday. Yes. Uh, next up, got to talk Star Wars The Bad Batch. Uh, not the new episode, The Outpost, Bill, because, listen, it and The Mandalorian drop at the same time now, so I have to make a choice in the morning. Yes. And obviously I'm choosing Mandalorian. Nothing against Star Wars animation, but hey, Mandalorian comes first. Decisions are made. Uh, but I do want to briefly talk about the last episode that came out. That was episode 11, Metamorphosis, uh, which i got to say, for some folks, it might not be that great an episode. It might be okay episode. But for me, Clone Wars fan, love the episode just because what happens in this, and I don't want to go into spoilers in case you haven't seen it yet. You're playing catch up. Mm-hmm. But what with what happens in the episode, given the fact that they did a tie, that it ties into a plot line that was in episodes 18 and 19 from season two of the Clone Wars that had a lot of impl- implications of like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? What are they going to do? Yeah. And and for the next six seasons, you know, from three all the way to episode seven or not episode seven, all three all the way to season seven or eight or whatever the hell they finished on, they never addressed it again, never got referenced, 
never got mentioned nothing and it's mm. and it's been one of the bigger cliffhangers like what the fuck happened of all time this kind of picks it up and, and brings it from there so if you watch this episode and go yeah what's the big deal i don't really understand this go back to disney plus season two episodes 18 and 19 are all you need to see you don't need any lead-ins you don't need to see any other episodes literally just go back and watch 18 and 19 from season two and you'll get a i think a better understanding of why this for clone wars fans and longtime star wars animation fans was such a big episode okay and i loved it nice uh, next up, got to talk some interesting uh, news because it was announced today that uh, there is going to be a Superman 5 film collection coming out. Oh. Uh, it is releasing on April 18th. Uh, it's available for pre-order on Amazon right now for the low price of $116.99. And if you're sitting here going, what the hell is it that it's that expensive? Well, folks, it is all five Superman films. Superman 1, Superman 2, Superman 2, the Donner Cut, Superman 3, and Superman 4 on 4K Ultra HD for the first time together. So the quest for peace is on there? Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Oh. Hey, listen. I own... <laughs> I No, hold on. I own the, the Blu-ray box set of The Godfather. I've watched Godfather 1. I've watched Godfather 2 on Blu-ray. Doesn't mean I watch Godfather 3. Right. No, no. You I know, get you. You, know, you, you, you got to watch it. You, no, no. Of course. You can I just sit there and say, hey, I own them all. I know, yeah, that just that movie, yeah, I just steer clear of. But oh, I mean, I obviously, obviously, Christopher Reeve, you know, arguably the greatest Superman of all time in that conversation. So yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong anytime you get you're getting that box set. That sounds like a great deal too. Yeah, uh, sticking with some movie news, uh, we found out from an article on the Variety last week that there's a new Alien movie coming, which I think we already knew, but I kind of forgot about. Yeah, we can, we've heard like rumors of this. Yeah. So. Uh, so this movie is going to be written and directed by uh, Fede Alvarez. It is going to be the ninth film in the franchise. Yes, folks. I'm, and I'm willing to bet. I'm not looking up the info. I'm willing to bet they're counting the Alien vs. Predator movies to get to nine. Probably. Uh, but yeah, we got some. It, we found out it starts filming in March. Uh, we got a little bit of a synopsis, although not much. And we found out the cast. Uh, so reading from the article, it says, quote, 20th Century Studios has announced new plot details, cast additions, and production status for the latest Alien film. While the premise of the yet-to-be-titled movie has been kept under wraps, the studio did reveal that the film will follow a group of young people on a distant world who find themselves in a confrontation with the most terrifying life form in the universe, close quote. So basically like every other alien movie before it. Right. Uh, those who will be faced with the terrifying forms are David Johnson, uh, who you might know from Industry, uh, Archie Renault, who you might know from Shadow and Bone, uh, Isabella uh, Merced, who you might know from Rosaline, Spike uh, Fern, who you might know from The Batman, and a uh, Eileen Wu, who you might know from Away From Home, all of whom will join the previously announced Kaylee uh, Spaney, who you might know from Mayor of Easttown. Uh, in addition to the cast announcement, 20th Century Studios announced that the ninth film in the franchise will begin production on March 9th in Budapest. Uh, Fede Alvarez serves as the director, screenwriter, and producer following his direction of horror films The Girl in the Spider's Web, Don't Breathe, and The Evil Dead remake. Uh, under the Scott Free banner, original Alien director Ridley Scott serves as an executive producer with Michael Pruss. Uh, Scott and Pruss are joined by producers Brent O'Connor uh, from Bullet Train, uh, Elizabeth Cantillion from uh, Persuasion, and Tom Moran from The Donut King. Uh, so, hey, listen, I'm all for a new Alien movie, whether I see it or not, it'll depend on the trailer and if I have any interest in it, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's always a franchise you got to keep your eye on. Yeah. 
Uh, and then switching over to some streaming news, we got a trailer for the upcoming Last Kingdom movie, uh, The Seven King, or excuse me, Seven Kings Must Die, which is dropping on Netflix on Friday, April 14th. Listen, I love this show. It started off on the BBC uh, and then was picked up by the folks over at Netflix, and Netflix took it over. One of my favorite shows that I started I started during the pandemic when things were kind of on a lull, not much was coming out, everything was in reruns, you know, and it had been in my queue for a while, and I was like, you know what, I've heard some good things about this, let me watch it. Okay. Uh, it's a fantastic show, it's got, I want to say five seasons, you know, so. I know it's up around there. It's, it's up around five seasons, they're all fantastic episodes, you know, highly recommended, it is the story of Uhtred of Bevenberg, and basically his quest to like, hey, he just wants to live his life, and, be, and people keep getting, and shit keeps getting in the way from him living his life. You know, it's a fan. If you like uh, medieval shows like a Game of Thrones or like a Lord of the Rings, it's kind of in that same vein. You know, lots of battles, lots of blood, lots of gore. You know, so hey, if you're into that, definitely give it a watch. But sign I, me up. I will absolutely be watching this movie when it drops on April 14th. Uh, and then switching over to some video game news, didn't see this one coming. Uh, we got a new Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi game coming. Really? I heard rumors about it years ago that like something was in the works, but nothing ever came from it. Yeah. But lo and behold, we got a trailer that dropped uh, just a couple of days ago, two days ago. Uh, the video the videos on YouTube already in the multi-million views because it's one of the most beloved gaming franchises there is uh, with the first one coming out in Dragon uh, coming out in 2005. You had Bo- uh, Dragon Ball Z Budokai Tenkaichi. Uh, the sequel came out in 2006 and you had Tenkaichi three in 2007. Uh, you had some other games in the franchise, including Tenkaichi tag team in 2010 uh, ultimate Tenkaichi in 2011. And then you had Dragon Ball Z for connect in 2012. Although we really don't talk about that. No, <laughs> uh, but this is, so this is the first one in the franchise uh, since 2011. And I'm willing, it's, it's an untitled game, but I'm willing to bet it'll, it'll be Tenkaichi 4 or maybe just Tenkaichi. I don't know. But it's a it's a fighting game. You know, it's a Dragon Ball Z fighting game, much like you're familiar with, with some plot and some story from the uh, franchise overall. But to get this back again, hey, sign me up. I'm all for this. Super early. They really didn't show gameplay from it. It was more like a cinematic trailer. Just like, hey, right. you know, because it starts off showing some fr- uh, footage. There was gameplay footage, but it was from the older games on an old television screen. Like, hey, remember this game that you used to play when you were a kid? Hey, we're bringing it back. You know, so no new gameplay footage. Uh, but the fact that we're getting a new Tenkaichi game for the first time in like 10 plus years is absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, I know this is big amongst the fandom. Yeah. So when this dropped, I know a lot of people started buzzing about this. I, it so. caught me by surprise because, like I said, a couple of YouTubers I follow uh, were, you know, cover some Dragon Ball stuff and they mentioned it probably like in between when Xenoverse 2 and, be, and, be, and before Kakarot came out. They're like, oh, there's a rumor that there's a new Budokai Tenkaichi game coming up. But then it kind of like fell off and no, they're like, yeah, we haven't heard anything for a while. But so I guess it might have gotten canceled, you know, mm. but hey, no, apparently they weren't canceling it. No, definitely not. So I got a couple stories going on. One, we did get an announcement about the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles project. Oh, yeah. So reading on an article from Variety, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Which has got one of the best casting jobs I've ever seen for a certain character. Yeah. Is getting dropped its first trailer. Uh, Seth Rogen is behind this. Yep. And this is going to be coming out from Paramount Pictures and slated for an August 4th, 2023 release. So they have revealed the voice cast. Right. So, Pad, I know you're more familiar about some of these actors than I am, so I'm getting your honest reaction about this. 
Micah Abbey, according to the article from Variety, Micah Abbey, Shaman Brown Jr., mm-hmm. Nicholas Cantu, and Brady Noon are okay. playing the roles of Donatello, Michelangelo, Leonardo, and Raphael, respectively. Yep. Jackie Chan is going to be Master Splinter. Fuck yes. Yes. Greatest casting I've ever seen. I love this. Ayo Edebri mm-hmm. is going to be voicing April O'Neil. Seth Rogen is going to be doing Bebop. John Cena is Rocksteady. Hannibal Burris is Genghis Frog. Oh, okay. Rose Byrne is Leatherhead. Okay. Ice Cube is Superfly. Of course that's his name. Yeah. (laughs) Natasia Demetrio is Wingnut. Giancarlo Esposito. Hey. Baxter Stockman. Okay. That's going to be the most diabolical motherfucker in this movie. Yep. Maya Rudolph is Cynthia Ontram? They're definitely going for the comedy in this movie. Yep. Post Malone. Ooh, post, that Post Malone. Posty. Uh, is Ray Follett. And the man that does not age, Paul Rudd. Oh, I thought you were going to say Pharrell. Well, Pharrell too. But Paul Rudd as, is going to be voicing Mondo Gecko. They're definitely going comedy heavy with this movie. Yeah. Which I'm not opposed to. No. Um, The trailer looked really good. I got to be honest with you. I, so, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, after the cartoon in the 90s, you know, what the animation is either hit or miss. Right. But, I mean, they went for definitely, I know in the article they reference it's very familiar to uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay, yeah. So it does have that kind of vibe to it. Um, So, like I said, Variety has a whole breakdown about the trailer. I, I got to admit, I was excited about this. Yeah. I'm not the biggest TMNT fan. Sure. But I do like uh, like The Last Ronin. Fantastic. Comic. Sure. And then what Ryan Parrott's doing right now with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers TMNT crossover mm-hmm. is absolute gold right uh, now. Yeah, I, I like the cartoon when it was on in like the 80s or 90s, whenever that was. I like the older movies. And then they had the the series on. I want to say it was Nickelodeon mm-hmm. or Cartoon Network, one of the two. I think it was Nickelodeon in the, in the early two thousands. That only got maybe a season, maybe two seasons, if not maybe not two full seasons. Mm-hmm. Highly underrated show because that like I'd kind of fallen off. Like I remember watching it as a kid, but then like I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. Well, you go through phases. You go it. through phases, grow into other things. That got me back into like because I saw I was like, oh yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and like I started watching. I'm like, you know what? This is actually good. You know, so I'm kind of falling off again. But like I might go see this just because the cast alone is phenomenal. Yeah, like I say, when I heard this casting, I was like, man, this is this is really good. Yeah, like I said, you you have my attention. I do think they're going to go heavy with the comedy, but this Seth Rogen. It's animation. Yeah. Like I say, it really has a certain vibe to it. And I got to admit, like, I was saying, okay, when is this coming out? Like, that was my honest-to-God reaction to it. And for Turtles, it's really got to be either hit or miss. Like I say, mm-hmm. video games, I will probably always play a Turtles game uh, if it comes my way. Comic-wise, I do love the comics because it does have a, a little sharper edge to it. Sure. Which is more my personal style. But if you're into the, the more cartoonish stuff, like, listen, more power to you. And like I said, the current crossover right now, which is the IDW and Boom Studios uh, crossover, has been absolutely great. But you have Ryan Parrott and Dan Mora on the book. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, you, you you can't go wrong with that team. So this book definitely caught my eye, or this uh, trailer definitely caught my eye. A lot of people are talking about it, so definitely let us know what you think about that. And like I said, the movie is slated to drop in August. But that was not the biggest TV news, I think, that came across the wire. No, not even by a long shot. Pad? 
What was that? John Bernthal is back, baby. Yes. No, not as Shane from The Walking Dead. But as, oh, that would be wild, though. Wouldn't it? Oh, my God. Uh, but no, he's returning as the Punisher for the Daredevil Born Again series. Right. So the Disney Plus project with Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio has added another familiar face to the show. And one that we had an idea was going to be returning. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Disney Plus, a little different than Netflix. We weren't sure how it was exactly going to factor in. But then again, if you've been watching Moon Knight and this past week's episode of The Mandalorian, yeah, they're not afraid to get violent on the show. I mean, also, hey, listen, Deadpool is on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, this Just is saying, true. There's, there's no there's no trailer, but you know, you can you can go watch yeah, Deadpool on Disney Plus. The ratings warning is there and there, obviously there's a, there's a there's a uh, ch- child settings on there so your kids profile can't view uh, certain mature content. Yeah, and they're obviously going to need to do that with John Bernthal well, reprising well, his role as Frank yeah, Castle, which yeah. like listen, it's a big win. Bernthal played an amazing Frank Castle on the Netflix show. Oh my god, yeah. And how this is going to translate to the MCU is anybody's guess. We do know he's in this show, at least. We don't know. Like I could see him popping up in Echo when, eh, when that maybe, comes up. Maybe. But it just depends where. But obviously, Punisher is always tied to Daredevil in one way or another. And how this is all going to translate, we don't know. The only thing that we've heard is Foggy Nelson and Karen Page are not back yet. Uh, yeah, played by Eldon Henson and Deborah Ann Wall, respectively. Right. So we don't know their status officially. Right. So, And that's the thing the Hollywood Reporter article mentions, and it does specifically say, uh, quote, uh, however, other actors from the Netflix Daredevil series are not expected to return. Deborah Ann Wool and Eldon Henson, who played classic supporting characters Kevin, Karen Page and Foggy Nelson, respectively, are not on the roll call for the Marvel series. Quote, it is also unclear whether those characters will be recast or excised from the story. Close quote. See, it's kind of a weird scenario, like to think that at least Foggy won't be there. Karen has been written out of the comics for a while now. Sure. So I can understand that, but I also think that maybe they need to begin here depending on what they want to do with the story because you're obviously not doing a pickup right from the Netflix show. Right. We do know it's born again. We do know they're filming now. I know there's been rumors of footage leaking out. I'm ducking it because I don't want to see it. That said, the show is going to be 18 episodes. Probably, yeah. Right, so are they filming all 18 at once? That'd be my guess. Well, and plus the thing of it is, too, as I was I was talking with some people, they might not want to overwhelm people yeah. who haven't seen, for whatever reason, you know, personal choices, they didn't have Netflix, they didn't care, haven't seen the Netflix series. Yeah. So it's going to be overwhelming. They're like, hey, here's Daredevil, here's Punisher, here's uh, Kingpin, here's this, here's that. And oh, by the way, he's got all these friends and all that. Like. They, you know, I can imagine they might get mentioned, mm-hmm. whether directly by name or implied with like, oh, yeah, your coworker or, yeah, the girl you were dating mm-hmm. type of thing. But, like, I don't imagine they'll be introduced right at the outset. No, I don't think so either. I think the one that kind of really surprised me more so is Foggy. Sure. But it's not to say he's not there yet. Right. But it depends on, okay, if he's if we're doing Born Again and granted... I don't think we're doing the storyline that we just did on Netflix. I no, I don't. No. If you're not familiar, Daredevil Born Again is one of the greatest Daredevil stories, if not one of the greatest comic stories of all time. However, 
They just did it on Netflix. I don't see Disney Plus doing that here. No. Especially the fact we saw him with the yellow suit Yeah. in She-Hulk. Yeah. So I think that they're going to do a soft in- reintro, and that's how we're going to get to where we're getting. It's going to work. Give it time. But the fact we got John Bernthal back as the Punisher is very, very cool. I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm just very curious if they're going to try doing the current version of the Punisher, Mm -hmm. the one that's in the comics written by Jason Aaron, which I have not gotten a chance to really deep dive into. I've heard very, very good things about. Uh, So wait and see. But listen, Bernthal coming in, I know that sparked the rumors about who else would be coming in from the Defenders universe. Right. Kristen Ritter has been a name that's been flying around as Jessica Jones. For a while. For a while. Yeah. And last we heard, nothing has been set in stone yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. But it's not to say she wouldn't be back. Um, I don't know if Mike Coulter would be back as Luke Cage. I know he's on another show right now. He's on another show, and he's been kind of on the surface, at least a firm no. Right. But it's not to say that once you see how this is all going to translate on from Disney Plus to or from Netflix to Disney Plus, somebody wouldn't say, "Yeah, I want to come back." Then. Sure, I mean, sure. It's, it's the MCU. I think anybody that says they don't want to be part of it is either one lying, or two not a comic fan, or three Nick Cage. Yeah, because he's Nick Cage. Yeah. Except I have this vision of him being the old school Ghost Rider, the one that rides on the horse. <laughs> like I need this in my life. Yeah. So fingers crossed for that. But listen, we got John Bernthal back. That's a huge move. Where this leads is anybody's guess right now, but the fact he's going to be reunited with Charlie Cox, they put magic on the screen, so I'm excited for it. And we'll just have to keep our ears out for more casting because I think the big one I expect to hear soon is a new Electra. Because mm. I believe the actress that played her on Netflix said she was tied up with another project. She can't do it. Okay. So And she was very like adamant, like, I appreciate everybody saying you want to see me back, but I'm I'm doing this now. I can't do it. Okay. But that said, that will be the big one, and I think that they don't want to have Electra competing with Karen Page no, on the show. So, no. And that's, like I said, that's more to the comics now, so that's probably why. But you never know when you're going to see Foggy and Karen show up. So I say keep you know, keep an ear out for that. We'll obviously talk about it when it happens. But we got John Bernthal back. We got Vincent D'Onofrio back as Kingpin. We do. What are we going to complain about? Mm-hmm. Like I say, a lot of stuff to be excited about for the Daredevil series when that drops on Disney Plus, and the sooner the better. That's my opinion. But before we get out of here, it's comic book pick time. So, Pad, what you got on your pull list this uh, week? Just two. Uh, first of which is Star Wars The High Republic, issue number six. Uh, this is from Kevin Scott. Uh, this one is The Battle of Jeddah Continues. As uh, Tay Sirik defends the Temple of the Kyber, Vildar Mac is buried alive with only his belief in the Force to keep him alive. But Vildar is a Jedi beset by doubts, a man scarred by a past he should have forgotten years ago. Who can come to his aid as the holy city tears itself apart? The Force is with Valdar, but is he one with the Force? Hmm. Uh, so this is definitely going to be interesting to, to read, especially if you have uh, read or listened to, and I highly recommend listening to, uh, the audiobook that is basically a radio drama of the Battle of Jeddah, which was written by Kevin Scott. Ah. Uh, fantastic listen to. It's a fully voiced audio cast. You know, it's not just one person changing their voice and doing this or that. No, it's like, you know, it's, it's people voicing different characters and all this. Uh, so, so this looks to be continuing or another story from that and in my number one pick at the comic shops this week this is one you cannot miss from zeb wells amazing spider-man 
issue number 21. Ooh, talk to me, Pad. Yeah, so this one is the description of the, the solo. I'm showing Ken the cover of this as soon as I blow it up a little bit. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh. Peter and Mary Jane. Uh, Peter with his mask off, both looking. Peter looking pissed off as all hell. Mary Jane looking scared. And just a little bubble on the side that says, This is it. The story arc you've been waiting for. And the description on this reads, What happened to Peter and Mary Jane? It's time. This arc will answer your questions, including what did Peter do? What caused all of this? So if you're not familiar, Peter did some shit. Nobody's quite sure what because they haven't explained yet. Okay. And everyone's kind of pissed at him. Uh, Aunt May's pissed at him. Mary Jane's pissed at him. Mary Jane's pissed off at him enough that they're not dating anymore. Mary Jane is dating somebody else. And Peter and and, uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue number 20 even said as much to Black Cat that things have changed. He, he still loves Mary Jane, but it might not be with a capital L anymore. It might be a lowercase L. Huh. And he's now dating, uh, or appears to be dating. He's he's hanging out with Black Cat a lot. So he, yeah, might, that's he might be with Black Cat. Par for the course with him. But so, yeah, things have changed. People hate him. Not quite sure what's going on, but it looks like we're going to start to find out what the fuck he did. Yeah, usually when he breaks up with Mary Jane, he usually winds up going back to Felicia for a little bit. And yeah. Then, like, it's... It's something he does. But yeah, now Peter outright in the episode issue 20, and I can say this because it came out a little while ago, told Black Cat, and I, and I saw this panel, that's what convinced me to get the issue because I was like, holy fuck, I need to see what's going on with this, is he no longer loves, in like all caps or with a capital L, Mary Jane, that it's a small L. Kind of in the same way of like, oh, you know, you love your sibling. Hmm. Yeah, I like I, I've been hearing a lot of craziness going on yeah. with this and their relate. Like, I'm sorry. As long as Gwen Stacy's not involved, I'm probably I'm in. Like I, I definitely want to check this out. I'm sorry, I'm not a Gwen Stacy fan. I do like Ghost Spider, sure, because it has nothing to do with. Sure, but I, I I've never been a Gwen Stacy fan. So as long as she's not involved in coming back from the dead and and reasons, I'm interested. But obviously, we do know that going into issue 25, they're promising like the greatest. Yeah reveal of spider-man history well and that that would kind of lead me to believe is something tells me we're not going to get the full story of what's going on in just this one issue it's going to probably play out over the next couple and that's going to be the big reveal is what the fuck happened yeah because i'm definitely interested to see what the build is going to be for this like i've had this on my radar to read i just haven't gotten down to it sure but like i say every time he he breaks up with mary jane he usually goes back to felicia which i know they try doing like a betty and veronica thing kind of sure. sort of there I'll say so, they got their own they got their own comic going right now right yeah because black hat mary jane is out is like a mini series right now but like i say they that's how they kind of pair it up at least that's what i'm referring yeah. to when yeah. they say they go back to each other um so yeah but i'm interested about that pat i'm 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 amped that you were back on the spider-man yes. uh reading list there because, uh, I mean, like I said, you got great picks. I'm starting to check out some of the Star Wars stuff you're recommending. So, so it's all good stuff, especially if it's Charles Soule. Yeah. Oh, Kevin, I, Kevin Scott's good, too, though. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm trying to catch back up, but I, you know me. I, my pull list is like... A mile long. Yeah, it's insane. Because when you have great books to go check out and you're doing reviews for them, they do take up a lot of time. So, obviously, this week is... I'm going to say... It's a very solid week. That's where I'm going. Obviously, it's a solid week. A little quieter for me this week, but next week is going to be a huge, huge week. But this book uh, definitely caught my eye. The Adventures of Superman, John Kent, Tom yeah. Taylor. Yeah. Hearing a lot of things about this. Haven't got a chance He's to check a it out. a certain suit on the cover. Yes, he has a Superman blue suit. And I yeah. I am definitely interested to, to check this out. 
I've been hearing a lot of mixed reviews. Okay. So I, I mean, twelve I, people feel people when you bring up Superman Blue do feel a certain kind of way. Oh, I do. You, know, I'm I'm one of them too. Like I was never a fan of that timepiece. I mean, I was, but I was also a kid. Right. So it's understandable. But me, like, one of these days, I'm just gonna do my opinion of the '90s comics, <laughs> and it's gonna be one of the, like probably most interesting episodes you ever. Maybe we'll do it for Patreon this month. I don't know. We'll see. But. Superman blue costume dig. And I like the John Kent is rocking it for this on the cover. Mm-hmm. And like I say, when they say road to injustice, like just take my money now and just call it even like we're good. So, and it's Tom Taylor writing. So I'm definitely checking that out at the shops as well. And I mean, on the Marvel side, yeah, the amazing Spider-Man one, I was meaning to ask you about as well. So I'm definitely very interested to check that out. But for image comics this week, there's a couple that really, I, I, I can't wait to talk about. One of which is a debut from Emma Kubert mm-hmm. and Stoneheart number one. Okay. So if you're into D&D fantasy style books, this is going to be something for you. So, Pat, I'm going to show you the promotional art Ooh. or the preview art, I should say, that's in the issue. So this is a story about a character that's exiled out of her kingdom and, and she's done something. Mm. And they have not revealed why she's getting kicked out, but she is starting her life over in a new part of this realm and what starts out to be like a a new beginning, something happens, sure, and things start spiraling, and it's unraveling a, a slow burn mystery hmm. about what she's done previously, and now it's coming back to haunt her. So it's like you can't start over again, like you can't escape your past, even though she really doesn't know what's going on. It's a very very cool story. Emma Kubert is doing both art and writing for this book. So, and she has been absolutely crushing on Radiant Pink amongst other stuff she does. So definitely highly recommend checking this out at the comic shops. And the other one is Rogue Sun 11. You know I'm a big Massive Verse fan. And obviously Ryan Parrott is reunited with Abel on this book after Marco Renna took over the art duties for a couple issues, which he absolutely crushed. But the original team is back together to send things off to the penultimate issue of the second arc finale. I know that's a mouthful, but you're still Yeah, it is. But that's how it is, because issue 12 is going to wrap up the second arc. Then we go to Supermassive 2. So a lot of the massive verse books that we know, like Dead Lucky is on a hiatus until after Supermassive 2. Rogue Sun, I believe, is going to take a break until after that comes out. And then Inferno Go Red is not part of Supermassive 2 is at least from what I've heard thus far but book 1 is going to be wrapping up next month anyway Mm -hmm. so that said if you haven't been reading Rogue Sun and I have had people DM me today I've had some people talk on social media at ODPH Podcast Rogue Sun is absolutely a fantastic read and what Ryan Parrott and Abel have done with this book is you take a lot you take Dylan Siegel who is not exactly your uh blueprint superhero he, he's somebody with an edge to him a uh, little teenage angst if you will and he, when he's given these powers he's kind of had a trial by fire no pun intended okay. into the realm of being a superhero and he's now facing a villain that is more of like a mirror reflection of him to some certain degree mm-hmm. had a couple things gone differently in their lives and hellbent who is the villain of this book has really pushed Dylan to the point where he's acting a little more reckless in trying to defeat him. 
And this issue sets up a lot of things they've been building for since issue eight, to be mm. honest with you. So we're getting a big payoff going into issue 12, which the final image you're going to see of issue 11, mm-hmm. I literally went like, oh, oh, this is not good. Uh huh. And I'm like, I cannot wait to talk about this. I cannot wait. Hopefully we're going to be talking to Ryan about this. Uh, scheduling conflicts have been the story of trying to make that episode happen. But I'm hoping to talk to Ryan about this. If not, I'm just going to shoot him a DM and just say, dude, this book is absolutely killing it right now. If you haven't read Rogue Son, I recommend go get the trade paperback. It's out with issues one through six right now. Seven through 12 will be paperback um, coming out very, very shortly. And the Massive Verse is kicking off a huge month. Next week, No One Number One comes out, Pad. Mm. That's the murder mystery book that a lot of people have been talking about. Kyle Higgins and the team over there did send us a promotional copy to read. I can't do any spoilers on here about it. All I'm going to say is this. The hype is real. Okay. And you definitely want to keep an eye out for that next week. We're going to be talking about it on Parlay Points. We're going to be talking about it on Nerd Initiative. And the podcast comes out with it as well, too. They're doing some very cool things with Nerd Initiative about this. Or not Nerd Initiative, I'm sorry, with this book. But we're also going to be doing some stuff with Nerd Initiative about the Massiverse heading into Supermassive 2. So you definitely want to be following all parties involved on social media to find out what we're talking about. And as always, remember to go support your favorite local comic shops wherever you're at and go support your favorite local independent comic podcast because we're putting a lot of work to give you the books you need to pick up each and every week. So make it happen, folks. Go show that support. Go go out and buy some books and thank us later because that's what we do here. That being said, Pad, for anything, everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for the entertainment edition this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.